like I said, I was particularly moved as well by Maddie Grace's testimony. And, and I think we have a lot to learn from a young adult who has not only realized what God has done for her, not what can do, but has done for her, but to realize that at an age and to share that by way of a testimony um, because that's a, sh- a testimony that we all have from the moment we accepted that and go, okay, I get it. He loves me no matter what I do, not because of what I do. And sometimes despite what I do, he loves me and he cares for me and he protects me. And there's an unexplainable, overwhelming peace that comes with that. And like I said, there are times that, that, that Maddie Grace and all of us will need to remind ourselves with that and reconnect with God. And that is going to be an intentional act on our part because the offer is always there. If we feel like God is distant, it's probably because we have wandered or turned a little bit, but he's just right there and says, would you accept this gift? Would you accept it again? So we are blessed to have heard the testimony and and again, credit to Maddie and, and all those in her life who have led her along that path that ends in salvation, the path we are all on. This week's scripture, remember, that Al read earlier in the services is found in the Apostle Paul's letter to the early church in Ephesus. It's from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 11. I'll read it again. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we're going to do some old school Bible study this morning during our message time. We're going to read this passage in context. We're going to study it. We're going to contemplate the message of Ephesians 6. We're going to go from verses 10 through 20, which includes not only the scripture remember, which was to be strong and put on the armor, but also what the armor consists of, how it is to be used, and how we can put on this metaphorical armor to take our stand against the devil's schemes, which unfortunately, but I do promise you, are still a threat to the world today. I'm going to begin by reading the passage in its entirety. I'll display it on the screen or you can follow in your Bible. This is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Again, it's Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Continuing at verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm going to pause there. We're going to go, we're going to kind of talk about this armor. Paul begins by talking about the enemy we face. This is essential because a thorough knowledge of the enemy and a respect for its capabilities are necessary to be victorious in war, spiritual war, physical war, You know, um, you have to know your enemy and what they're capable of in order to successfully face them. Similarly, if we underestimate our spiritual enemy, we may think that there's no need for God's armor. We unwittingly go to battle unarmed. I can take on the world myself with no weapons whatsoever, but our own underwhelming strength. 
Many, if not all, of our failures and defeats are due to our foolish self-confidence when we either disbelieve or simply forget how formidable, formidable our spiritual enemies are. The forces arrayed around us have three main characteristics. First, they're very powerful. Second, they're wicked. Now, power itself is neither good nor bad. It's how it is used. Think of the power of your words, right? These words can come out of your mouth and build others up or they can tear others down. This is an incredible power that can be used ways. So these things that we're, we're protecting ourselves, we're preparing ourselves a battle, they're powerful and it's powerful in an evil or wicked way. And third, they're very cunning, right? One of the best weapons of the enemy is, to, is deceit, right? Discouragement, the doubt, guilt. And one of the most effective tools that he leverages is to convince you that he doesn't exist, right? God's real, maybe, maybe not, but there's no devil, right? God's defeated him, nothing to worry about. People are good or bad, but it's not. And he says, no, it's, it's not flesh and blood. There's some big deal stuff going on that's knocking you off your path. Revelation 12, 9 describes the enemy this way. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. By instructing us to seek the Lord's strength, put on God's armor, and and take note of our weapons, Paul gives us an alarming indication of the forces aligned against us. This includes a recognition of the hostility all of us as Christians face. We must be prepared for it. He calls on us to be strong and equipped to do battle against those opposing the gospel. The word repeated, and you've heard it, is the word stand. Stand. This is from the Greek word istumi, which means to face and withstand with courage. I'm not talking just staying put, like I'm, I'm not running away. It's not even talking about digging in like this. It's all those, but it's also like more like this, right? Standing with confidence. Standing with confidence and courage. So where does this confidence and courage come from? We know the answer. Only the power of God can defend and deliver us from the might, the evil, and the craftiness of the devil. It is true that the principalities and the powers are strong, but the power of God is so much stronger. It is his power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead and enthroned him in the heavenly places, and which has raised uh, us from the death of sin and enthroned us with Christ. That is how powerful God is. He's closed that gap we've been talking about for the last two weeks. It is also true that these heavenly places that that Paul speaks of, you know, um, it's it's this unseen world of principalities and powers are working, but, but they were defeated at the cross as well. And now they're under Christ's feet. That's a scriptural promise, just as God promised they would be. So the invisible world in which they attack us and, and we defend ourselves is the very world in which Christ reigns over them and we reign with him. Remember that because the victory is Jesus's. When Paul urges us to draw upon the prayer, the power, the might and strength of the Lord Jesus, he uses exactly the same three words which he has used to describe his work of raising Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what he's saying. It's that same power. So when we're looking at these passages, it's interesting to note two parts of Paul's instructions. First thing is, it's a general instruction. He says, be strong in the Lord. Okay? It's pretty general, pretty big. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And the Greek word for be strong can be interpreted to mean be strengthened. 
And now we can kind of feel the, that, that power of taking a stand, right? Be strengthened. The revised English version does a little better because it says, find your strength in the Lord. Find your strength in the Lord. Be strengthened. The second instruction is a little more specific. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, right? That stand against the devil's schemes. The Greek word for put on can be interpreted as take or take on. And this is a balanced teaching of scripture. Some people, and I, I include myself in this sometimes, are so self-confident. They think they can manage by themselves without the strength of the Lord's armor, right? I'm prepared. I can recognize the devil. I can take him on, right? I know my Bible, so I know my scripture. But others are self-doubting that they, they have, think they have nothing to contribute to the victory, right? I, I can't deal with this. God, you take this and do it. And both are mistaken in their own rights. See, Paul expresses a proper combination of divine enablement and human cooperation. Isn't this how we're supposed to operate in every aspect of our lives? Lord, give me the power, the equipping, and the calling, and I will go too. I will partner with you here on earth because of your power, your instruction, and your enablement. Human effort following God's will under God's direction, command, and power unstoppable the pieces that make up the armor of God are revealed in verses 13 through 20 the purpose of clothing ourselves with the divine armor is that we is that when the day of evil comes the scripture reads we may be able to stand our ground and after we've done everything to stand to remain standing the word stand is used repeatedly to reveal the importance of stability right stability unsteady Christians have no firm foothold in Christ and are easy prey for the devil. This is part of why Paul's instruction in, in Timothy was to like, with, in regards to elders and, and such, was to like, don't get new converts because they may not be fully grounded. They're excited, but they don't have that bite in their faith yet, right? We need that kind of stability that comes from deep-seated faith. So, so it says to stand, Paul's plea is for Christians to be strong and stable. They remain firm against the devil's schemes. To this, to this we must take up or put on, which means it's a choice that is one that is readily available, right? You have a, it's raining outside. I, I want to take my rain jacket, right? But I have to put it on as well. We are blessed. God has provided the tools, the equipment, the, the scriptural armor that we're talking about here. We just have to put it on or take it with us, right? Why leave it behind? So let's look at those pieces as they're described. The first piece he mentions is truth, encircling the waist and the role of a belt. Believers are to have truth wrapped around them, ensuring that everything is held together in its proper place, right? Like a, like a good belt, right? It strengthens, it's, it's kind of a core foundation, keeps everything in its place. To put the belt of truth can be understood as, as accepting the truth of the Bible and choosing to follow with integrity. This is the stability. This is what the, keeps things order and tied together. Paul continues with the second piece of honor, the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Both truth and righteousness were also previously mentioned earlier in Paul's letter as being components of the light, which expose the evil of darkness. So, so this armor that we put on, this righteousness and this truth help us identify what is not of God, what is not light. It is striving to be like Christ and live according to his ways of righteousness. That is this piece of armor. And certainly no spiritual protection is greater than a righteous relationship with God. 
to have been justified by his grace, faith in Christ, to be clothed with a righteousness that is not one's own but Christ, to stand before God not condemned but accepted. That's what we are. This is an essential defense against an accusing conscience and against the slanderous attacks of the evil one. Why do we say slander? Because they're lies. You're not good enough. You'll never do enough. You haven't earned this. You don't deserve it. Or, or you deserve the bad that's happening. Those are lies. Those are lies. The Hebrew name is, is Satan, which means adversary. Actually, if you read it in true context, it calls him the Satan, like the adversary, the Satan. And whose Greek title is Diabolos, devil, right? Slanderer. So we say Satan and we say devil, but we're calling him our adversary and a liar. This is exactly what it is. This isn't a name. This is a description. But remember this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The lies. This is the belt of truth we put on and say no. This is the, the breastplate of righteousness that says no, your lies don't stick to me. Feet fitted with the readiness. Paul has in mind the footwear of the Roman soldier, which are made of leather. They have the toes free, so kind of sandals, but they had heavy studded soles. And they were tied to the ankles and shins and straps with straps for, for support. And, and what they did was they allowed the soldier to both do long marches comfortably and then stand up to the rough terrain and for a solid stance because they had that kind of traction that they could stand their ground like we need to. While they did not impede mobility, they, they did also prevent the foot from sliding, to, to stand firm. And I think that's why Paul chose this particular piece as a description. So the Christian soldier's shoes or boots, as described in verse 15, are the equipment of the gospel of peace. For the Greek word equipment means readiness or preparation or firmness. You see, the devil fears and he hates the gospel because it is God's power to rescue people from his tyranny, Right? Everything that you need to know about why you have hope, why there's faith, why God loves you, it's written here, but you can certainly ask him as well. God, Satan hates that. He hates that. So you need to keep your gospel boots strapped on. When we talk about the shield of faith, we picture the shield of a Roman soldier used to deflect the blows of the sword, the arrow, or the spear of the enemy. Right? So to take up the shield can be understood as rejecting temptation to doubt, sin, or feel guilt, right? I'm going to defend myself against those lies. I'm not going to accept them. I'm going to do this. Scripture reads that this is a shield which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It doesn't say may. It may help. It may do it. It speaks of a certain intercept. It will quench and take out the fire. Another choice wording worth noting is verse 16 says, in addition to all of this, right? He's going through this list of, of a piece of armor and he goes, in addition to all this, it, it reveals an indispensable addition, right? You got your armor, but don't forget your shield in addition to this. And we know that God himself is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That's spoken over and over in Psalms. You are my refuge, my shield. And it's by faith that we... We flee to him for refuge, right? We're not fleeing the devil. We're coming under God's protection when we flee to him. Our faith lays hold of the promise of God in times of doubt and depression. And faith lays hold of the power of God in times of temptation. In order to defend against the attacks of Satan, believers must maintain their faith in Christ's work and in his power. That is your shield. 
But unlike some of the other pieces of armor, like the, the helmet or the breastplate or the belt, which are kind of fastened in place to protect, you know, your chest, your, you know, your midsection, your feet, the shield is one that you kind of get to move around and protect where you're needed. It's maneuverable and it fends off attacks wherever they're coming from, whatever part of the body they're headed for. And marching side by side, holding up these large shields, soldiers can advance on an enemy well protected. I found a, a picture, I don't know, this is from the movie 300. And you, I don't know if you remember that scene, but you know, the Spartans have all these large shields and they, as a unit, line them up and it's almost impenetrable. These shields and the row behind them, the road behind them, and, and everybody from there on is protected by the shields. And this is, you know, we sing this online, we're Christian soldiers. This is the image of the shield of, of God's faith, our faith in God, that we march and we make this impenetrable wall. Flip one more. It's from the movie Gladiator, similar, you know. They were surrounded, but what they do, they get behind their shields and they protect themselves. And, and everyone is protected by the person on their left or right with the same shield. This is a, an image of the church. And that brings us to the final two pieces of spiritual armor to put on believers. The first is the helmet of salvation. Saving graces serve as a protection for the believer. The helmet of salvation is our assurance of future and final salvation. It is this helmet we put on when we know that, that times are tough or we face an illness or, or others do. We know, we put on this helmet of salvation that goes, I am saved because I have accepted Jesus Christ in my life. And nothing can get into my head because I know that to be true. And the last is the sword of the spirit. It's the, the soldier's weapon used both for offensive and defensive purposes. So taking the, the, the sword of the spirit defined for us as the word of God, all right, can be understood as using scripture specifically in life situations to fend off attacks of the enemy. You're not doing enough. Hey, you know what God said? It's not about what I do, okay? God said it's not about me. You know, God says you're not worthy. I've got a whole bunch of stuff written here from God himself that says I am. says I am. He also says you're a liar, by the way. And we see the example of using Jesus using scripture this way. Matthew 4, 1, 11, when he's being tempted in the wilderness, the devil is shooting these flaming arrows of scripture because Satan knows them too. And Jesus swats him down with God's word. He says, it also says this, and this is what it means. You have that same power. You've been given that same weapon that is both offensive and defensive. With this weapon, we have the power to fight back against the attacks of Satan by declaring the truths of God, especially the gospel message, right? Get behind me, Satan. Get out of this place, Satan. Get out of my life. Stop messing with me and the people I love because we love God and God loves us. That is us fighting back. And there's no doubt that God's saving power is out a power is our best and only defense against the enemy of our souls. Now, we work through verses 10 through 17, but Paul's message does not end there. This is Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, so the end of this, of this passage. This is from the NIV, and it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. It's interesting. 
equipping ourselves with God's armor is not a little process. It's a literal process. It is itself an, an expression of our dependence on God and all the tools he gives us. But it's worth noting Paul's inclusion of prayer in this, in this catalog of weapons because it is to permeate all of our life and certainly all of our spiritual warfare ever in prayer. He had instructed his believers to put on the armor of God. Then he provides them with a personal call to prayer. Just like the Christians in Ephesus, we are reminded to cry out to God who will be our source of strength and our help. Give me the strength. Give me the shield. Give me the, the weapons, the defensive tools to protect myself and to fight the good fight. Paul writes that, that they should pray for themselves and the readiness to oppose the enemy. And then he tells them to pray for himself. For he desires to make the most of the opportunities that are before him. Now it's interesting to note that the words translated in the NIV mean pray for me. May Mark be translated as pray on my behalf. Remember we talked about intercessory prayers. We, we pray on the behalf of others in this room all the time. Please help my neighbor, my coworker. We're praying on their behalf. This is what Paul is saying. He said, pray on my behalf. Pray for me. Spirit-led prayer. Right? This, is, this is that deep prayer that, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and helps us. Spirit-led prayer is wonderfully comprehensive. And you hear it because Paul keeps using the word all. We are to pray at all times, right? Both regularly and constantly. With all thanksgiving petition, right? For, for everything. All, prayer takes on all forms. And with all perseverance because we need to stay alert and never give up. So persevere in your prayer life. Make supplication for all the saints. Now, when the, they use the word saints, they're meaning God's people, right? Do you know this? You're a saint. You may not have been ordained as a saint, but I'm telling you, God says that you are his people. And if you accepted Jesus Christ, you re-baptize. When the New Testament speaks of the saints, you, you're speaking of you. Pray supplication. Pray for all the saints, all of God's people. Because it's the unity of God's people that, that really gives us our strength. And we claim to do this. I do too, right? I do a good job. We believe that we do this, but the truth is we do this sometimes, right? Most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. But to replace the sum with the word all in each of these, as Paul has said we should, expresses a faith-led consideration. And it introduces us to a new dimension of prayer to pray at all times for all people in all situations. That is the kind of permeation that Paul says needs to, to get in there with your armor. And as we look at Paul's request for prayer in verses 20 through 21, we can see that, that he was concerned more with speaking fearlessly than anything else. Even though he was presently in prison, he said, I am an ambassador in chains. But what does he ask for? He asks for, whenever I speak, words may be given me so I fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. Fearlessly make known the words of the gospel. You know, when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy to encourage him in his ministry, Paul reminded him, this is from 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So here in Ephesians 6, Paul wants the same deliverance from timidity for himself that he prayed for with Timothy. He says, give me the strength. Make me fearless. Let me, let me dig my feet in and take that stand. Even the remaining apostles share this concern after the ascension of Jesus. Therefore, their prayers is found in Acts 4, 29 through 31. They ask God, they say, enable his servants, enable us to speak your words with great boldness. Right? 
It's not just about bring us the opportunity, but give us the courage to do it. As I wrap up this message, we take up his armor by choice, right? We, we take it up, we take it with us, we put it on because it is available and we know that it is prudent to do so. It is God's will and it is the best defense against the things of this world, whether you betrayed on the Satan or just bad circumstance or just rough life. God wants you to be fully armored and protected so you can go with confidence, not only to share the gospel, but to live and experience the gospel and its joy for yourself. And the good news is you don't have to fake it. You don't have to act courageous. You don't have to put up a front, as they would say, because God has got your back. John, 1 John 4, 4 reminds us that the one who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the one, Satan, who's in the world. The one that is with you is greater than the one that is in the world. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. That doesn't mean flee from it, right? He says, take the stand. Stand to the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. And last, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This is the power that we've all been given. Paul knows that he lived in a fallen world where, where people were easily misled as to what should drive and be the focus of their lives. In fact, things haven't changed much if we're being completely honest. We, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how we need to leave, live a life of focus on church and prayer and salvation and the Holy Spirit, right? Paul describes this worldly life as, as a spiritual battle requiring spiritual resources, these resources are tied to drawing dependently, right, on the truth and enablement that comes from a new identity in Christ. When you accept Christ, the old has gone away, the new is in you, and you have access to the spiritual tools and power, and we depend on God, right, to stand up to the bully, the liar, the deceiver. And this is exactly what he has offered each one of us. The battle is not against people, but against real yet unseen forces that lead people astray. The gospel and its faithful preaching provide the way out of this danger. So the mission of Paul and, and the church, the mission of all of us, is to proclaim this gospel in the midst of a world that often seeks a solution in a million other places. Right? I'll find my joy here. I'll find my satisfaction here. I will... I will do this or I'll do that or, or this is the reason this happened or, or if I try harder or, or am a better person then this will happen, right? We, we, we look for that and, and, but we live in this world where that's, that's kind of the mentality but that's not the world that God created. Paul asked for prayer for, for the saints. Again, there's people who, who've lived their lives given to Christ to persevere in this battle. Right? And the Holy Spirit and Jesus intercede, still praying for us in this battle. Lord, help your people stand up in this world. But the key to all this is taking up these resources, right? Drawing on all they have to offer. This is, this is how we stand our ground and, and then we endure the confrontation as we take up the tools that he has offered. So let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we talk so often about how you equip us to do your work. And we think about it in terms of, 
of skills, abilities, talents, uh, passions that we can use in serving of others. Sometimes it's it, by way of, of generosity of our financial gifts and the things that we have that we can share with others. But Lord, you have equipped us in a defensive way as well. You say, here is everything you need to stand up to the world, to, to share the gospel, to, to take a stand confidently in the promises that, that you have given us. Lord, you've given us these metaphorical spiritual tools that come by way of, of your word and your promises and, and the truth that really ties it all together. So Lord, whether we take these tools and use them offensively to make a difference in this world or, or we're a little more passive with this and we just firmly stand our ground, you are pleased. Lord, as we raise our shields and we fend off the, the arrows of the, of the evil one, of, of discouragement in the world of, of sin, Lord, we stand shoulder to shoulder with each other and we claim the victory that's already been won. We, we look at the scoreboard. We see that Jesus has won. All of this is already under his feet. So let us not be deceived to think that, that there's still, you know, a, a battle to be fought that, that, that won't end in victory. We're just cleaning up the pieces left behind until Jesus comes again to take us with him. Lord, we thank you for equipping us. We thank you for encouraging us. And Lord, let us never doubt the power that you have given us that is in your son's name. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.